Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? I am fine and happy and ready to work. <laughs> work is good. <laughs> uh, we're jumping forward. We've gone from uh, the first Doctor. We've done the Peter Cushing Doctor. We're now into officially the second Doctor, uh, Patrick Troughton. Uh, the new Doctor, we're going to go into the story, we're going to be doing the Macra Terror, um, which has different companions, different Doctor, completely different setup. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to be getting to this one. This is also, the thing to highlight and note about this one is, this is a lost series. This was a four-parter, and it was a lost series. So this had, it was, uh, it was this was broadcast in 1967, and it was obviously lost in the archives and destroyed, and there's only little bits and pieces left. And so this was reanimated, uh, actually just animated, I should say, using an audio track that they had. Um, and I believe it was animated in like two, 20, 2012 or something like that, 2014, I think, something like that. Or maybe more recent than that, actually. Um, but yes, we are going to be discussing... 2019. 2019, this one. Wow. We are going to be discussing the animated um, story. Um so, a couple of quick notes. As I said, the Doctor is uh, Patrick Troughton. He is joined by Jamie, played by Fraser Hines, Polly by Annette Wills, and Ben, Michael Craze. Uh, and the story is quite simple. They The TARDIS lands on a planet that has it is referred to as a holiday camp. But I can't see it really being a holiday camp. They <laughs> refer to it as a colony. The, they land in a colony uh, on a planet where... Uh, everyone seems incredibly happy and incredibly sort of happy to be doing their work. Um, the doctors in, in, in find that they mine a gas on this planet. And the more they dig, uh, the more they stay, they find that there's actually some discontent and paranoia, especially from their security officer, Ola. Um, uh, when they are held up for the evening, they find that they have subliminal messaging sent to them, which actually sort of gets to Ben uh, and he turns on them and turns traitor. But eventually they find that, the planet has a secret. The mine that they, the mines, are there to mine gas for the macra, a crab-like species that are actually in control of the colony. Uh, and of course, the Doctor solves all the problems and then leaves. So, crab people. Yeah, crab people. I get the feeling that I, I'm glad this one was animated. <laughs> um, knowing what the special effects budgets would have been, um. Just to sort of back this up, I went and watched an, an episode of a non-lost Patrick Troughton episode. I didn't get to watch all of the, the whole series. I watched an episode, though. Um, I forget which one it was. But just to see him as the Doctor, just because obviously this is animated. So I went and watched a couple. Well, I didn't watch two in the end. But 
and that gave me a bit of a grounding for this to see mm. how good the animation was. Uh, but first and foremost, Julian, what were your thoughts on uh, the macro terror and the animation and stuff? Well, I I, I quite enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed Whoa. this more than the Aztecs. Um, and I haven't seen a lot of, of Charlton as a doctor. You know, more episodes of his are missing than uh, Hartnell. Um, and it's been... But I've been following the release of these animated versions. Uh, back when I was sort of going through and watching um, old Doctor Who... Um, there weren't these animations and they had these sort of reconstructions where they had stills and then they put, you know, sort of descriptions at the bottom of the screen, like, you know, the doctor runs into the other room <laughs> you know, uh, and they play the audio track. Um, and then these, the, you know, there's still ones that uh, have not been animated, but then these, as these animated ones are rolled out, they're played on AMC over here mm -hmm. and they kind of get a, a little bit of fanfare. Um, so I've watched, uh, you know, several of those, um, but I, I found this quite enjoyable and I do think that it, it is more enjoyable in the animation. Um, yeah. th there's something just sort of charming about it. I agree. I mean, you know, I was a little worried going in that the, anim how, how stilted will the animation be? Cause I know sort of like, you know, this was done on a still like a relatively limited budget. Like this isn't Pixar. That's not, you know, it's not Kirsten. This yeah. is a 2d animation. However, it still works. There are moments when it looks a little stilted and you get like the repetition of movement and stuff to, you know, but like, it's good. It's actually really good. Uh, I think the expressions are good, but also I think like the coloring in this, um, of the backgrounds and some of the cutaway scenes, but also like when they have the gas and the macro sneaking out the shadows and stuff, like it's really well done. Like I really enjoyed some of those scenes. Yeah, the macro looked good, and and it's one of those things where you know I found myself actually looking at that you know reconstructed one with uh, the stills and sort of comparing it to the animation because I had always thought that the animation very closely followed. Uh, sort of shot for shot what the composition of those shots was mm. in the original. That doesn't seem to be the case. Oh. Um, it, it, it probably is the case in, in a lot of shots, especially close-ups and things like that, but there is there are stills of, uh, like, the marionettes, which, uh, are, you know, are quite enjoyable. There's this, um, for listeners, there's a sort of team of marionettes that sing, um, uh, you know, sort of like sing a happy song about work and, you know, um, to kind of keep everyone motivated because I guess the hypnotic suggestion isn't enough. Um, and, and so you see them very early on and they come back at the end. But the shots of the marionettes in the stills are quite different. Mm. Um, now, those might be publicity stills or whatever was on hand as opposed to a still from the lost episode. But but it does seem like some liberties have been taken. Um, and you do see, like, there was a shot of the skyscraper in the background where you see, you see figures in the windows. And I'm quite sure the original didn't have those figures. Yeah. And that's like, we're going to spruce this up a little because we could just put that in there in animation. It, it definitely feels a little bit like um, when they did redid. Think of it like the Star Wars special editions. <laughs> <laughs> like they've been able to go in and do some sort of like cleanup, and I think some, and some of the transitional shots are fantastic. Like you said, there's the, the skyscraper, or like there's like um, 
wide shots of the colony with the lighting and sort of like you know mist and stuff and the colors are fantastic like sort of like I say the, the the blues and the, the sort of the greens that are used in this in particular work really well and it, yeah you do get the fennels is in color as well and you do get that feeling of like yeah the bbc never had the budget to do this <laughs> so i'm pretty sure they'd have been like scene 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 none of these transitional shots um so it, yeah i think there's some liberties been taken um however like you say because it is it's still an audio track they're still just using the audio and that works they're, they're, they've sunk that up with the animation or the animation has sunk up to the audio track incredibly well um which i thought was quite impressive there never seemed to be an, an, an area where it was off do you know what i mean it never it never felt like the 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 animation was missing a beat or anything it's it's the well, well done to them for that because that's that's quite impressive yeah and i agree and i i think it's it's wonderful that they're doing this um and also i i'm with you about the macro the the crabs that you know there are there is a fight with the crabs in the mines where mm. you can tell that they're sort of imitating the way it was originally done as you know, a claw kind of comes on screen and grabs the character, <laughs> yeah. and that character sort of wrestles with it quite too long, and and it does make me think. Right, seeing a puppet of of a crab hand come on screen would have been quite painful. Yeah, this is one of those things, isn't it? Like you said, you know, we didn't get this with the Aztecs because it was history based. So these are really the first. Well, we've met the Daleks, but again, the Daleks are very, they're robotic in that sort of like, you know, they're, they're in, um, inorganic. So this is the first sort of like organic alien that we've come across. In fact, we haven't because we've seen the animation. So I'm curious right. to see what we do. Um, and like I say, this is where the budget obviously, you know, starts to sort of uh, have that factor. But luckily, I think the charm of it is where it sort of like holds off because you're able to accept some of this. Where you're like, yeah, looks a bit rinky dink, but I'm invested and I'm happy with it, so I'm going with that. Um, and so I, I haven't seen it, I saw because I've seen some of the stills, as you say, but just listening to the audio, um, I, I can tell that this feels very different to the Hartnell years. Mm -hmm. Um, like the, the show has changed by this point. Um, and already I feel this is closer to the who that I know than than what I saw with the Aztecs. Um, yeah, let, let's go into that because, I mean, it seems to me the most obvious way that that's the case is that the Doctor is less chromogeny and he's mm -hmm. more the driving force of the plot. Yeah. Um, in the Aztecs, you can virtually remove the doctor and you just need somebody else to supply that potion or, or whatever, and the doctor is unnecessary. Here, the um, companions really are assistants to the doctor now. Yes. Yeah, and, that, and that's true. And that, that's the thing to watching this couple of other episodes to get a feel for Troughton. I kind of like him. Like, he has. Um, you know, I've heard it joked. He has like an impish sense of humor. Like, you know, he's a little bit sort of like irreverent with things. Like, you know, he, he doesn't really care. He's happy to be involved. And um, there's a great scene towards the end of this where Ola is trying to take over from the pilot who runs the colony. 
And when the doctor comes in, he just sort of says, he says, oh, well, it's, it's all irrelevant now. Sort of like, you know, pilot, apologize to Ola. Ola, apologize to pilot. Right, we're all happy, move on. <laughs> and that very much felt almost like Matt Smith, like modern Doctor Who, that sort of like, you know, um, your sort of like in, internal politics are irrelevant to me. And I'm just going to, look, there's, there's more important things to do. Let's just deal with it, but deal with it in an almost sort of like charmingly silly way. Um and even down to his costuming, like, you know, it's it's a, almost like a stripped back version, you know, because obviously the Hartnell Doctor was sort of like almost like a three-piece suit. Yeah, the spats sort of shoes and the canes and all this other stuff. The overcoat and the hat. It was very, he was very costumed. Is well, But with Troughton, you're down to sort of like ruffled shirt and trousers and jacket with a bow tie. Like, they've really sort of like brought him back. But it's still very distinctive, yet... It feels a bit more like they've gone for a character where he's like, you know, well, my appearance doesn't really matter. It's more about the, it's more about the journey. It's more about what we're doing than how I look. Um, and again, that sort of feels a bit more like the Doctor that you know I'll get to know. Yeah, I, I think you're right about all of that. And you know, I've heard people talk about Troughton as sort of the first comedic Doctor that mm. he sort of took the doctor character in this, you know, as you say, irreverent sort of direction. And I think to me, it doesn't come off that way. I mean, to me, you know, I mean, compared to sort of, you know, David Tennant or Matt Smith, you know, he, he's very staid, mm -hmm. but certainly it's a radical departure from uh, Hartnell uh, mm -hmm. in the direction of, you know, as you say, being less costumed, more sort of irreverent, and, and certainly the center of the action. I mean, he yes. is a guy with agency. And um, yeah, this does feel more like a traditional Doctor Who story. Yeah. And again, he has a, a, a different relationship to the uh, companions. You know, like you said, in the past, like in, in, well, in the Aztecs, the, pan, the companions were, like you said, taking the lead. That was the setup of the show almost. Like he was the vehicle, but they were the sort of the, the point of view characters, which has always been the case. But with with these, with with Polly, um, Ben, and Jamie, they do feel like they are being taken on a journey rather than sort of like we're here and now we're going to learn about this. It's more like from the offset. Like I like the, and they're also they're very different. Like Jamie is a bit more sort of like not paranoid, but he's very wary. Like the first thing he does when he gets off the TARDIS and they land, he's like he grabs a stick and he's like, <laughs> "No, I'm going to protect myself." Like we, I've seen enough. Then I know I'm going to need a stick, and the others are like, "Oh, you know, chill out." And then straight away they get someone runs into him. So he's sort of like, "He's proven right." So these feel less um, that well, they feel younger for a start, mm -hmm. um, and they feel less like an again like a vehicle for education, which I think the sort of the companions did in the in the Hartnell uh, stories. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I mean, I I sort of feel that these three companions are sort of boring to me mm. they all sort of maybe this is um you know later sort of woke perspective but you know they're all very much sort of like your bland relatively young white people um yeah. they don't really have a lot of personality um to me now, obviously they do they are differentiated right ben is only too happy to you know uh respond to this brave new world um 
and you know Polly is the girl, and Jamie is <laughs> the Scott. You know who and wears a kilt? He I wears a kilt. And I had to check this because I was like, is that a little, like you said, like a flourish they've done for the animation? Oh, no, no that was how they no. defined him. He wore a kilt. Like, every yeah, Scotsman he... wears a kilt all the time. Well, he's the only one who's not from the present day. Yeah. So the other two were from the 60s, pulled out of time. And uh, Jamie was from, like, 18th century Scotland or something. But he seems totally adapted, <laughs> you know, space travel at this point. Right. There's a I followed on from this because I, I wasn't sure about that. And I had to check. And you're right. So he comes from. A, and again, not been done. That I'm really aware of not done against. I'm not aware of any of the companion. But beyond that, they all become contemporaries of the show, if you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. um, there are from the era the show is in. So I think it's really cool to have that. And it's like, it makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you have a companion from a different time scale? Um, there is one in the next sort of thing. It's called the, the, uh, the faceless ones. Um, and there was, I had a look at, and there was, um, but they land on um, an air, like an airstrip, um, uh, like I think, whatever it is, Gatwick Airport, where they land on a base on a runway, and they come out, and the, the doctor's like, oh, scatter. Jamie's first response is like, ah, look at these metal flying tubes. And you're like, you've been to space. <laughs> You've just seen like giant crab monsters taking over a colony, and and you're shocked by fly by planes, like yeah, it, you, you're right. Like his acclimatization. Like Realized, like remember, he's, he's Scottish <laughs> and he's from the past. Yeah, his acclimatization seems to go up and down a little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, which is fine because I actually kind of like Jamie in this. Um, he's to me, he he's the most interesting of the companions. He does um, seem the most active. I mean, he's the one who yes. goes into the tunnels, and he's the most at risk. Yeah, he he seems to be, like you say, the most the most active. Because I think the thing you say about uh, Ben being the most Ben being the most open to the experience is actually his downfall. And I kind of like that as an interesting concept of like he's the one because he's so open to it. Like he's also open to the voices that you know mm-hmm. take control. Um, whilst Jamie's paranoia is the one that sort of like allows him to fight them a bit. Um, and Polly just being a girl is, is barely mentioned. So, <laughs> yeah, I like Polly. I, I wanted to see more of Polly. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a commentary there that that Ben is from uh, Britain in the 1960s and he's a white man, and so he's like, right, I'll go along with, uh, yeah. you know, this white uh, white guy control system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> this this seems incredibly normal. I'm happy with everything <laughs> that's going on here. Um, but they, like they say, Ben, ben and uh, Polly are played as that sort of 60s, sort of like, you know, right on. But they're not quite hippie. They're still relatively sort of square or straight. They're just, but they're very 60s. Um, uh, but again, that it plays as slightly boring, as you say. Um, but I like, I do think there is a correlation between Ben's openness and the fact he is the one that is, is, is um, hypnotized easiest by the messaging in the sleep chambers um yeah and quite quite effectively i mean he uh right away i mean he's just like uh yeah uh but we have to work they've been so kind of he's he's quite effectively taken in Uh, (laughs) yeah 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 straight away yeah he's just like you know well the colony comes first and it was like yeah, well, you're not well, a part of this colony. Yeah, We're visitors, yeah. right? You, you know we've got a TARDIS, right? Yeah. Um, 
So uh, you know, I, but I do like that. There needs to be the there was the companion in peril kind of um, moment, and so I like the fact that it isn't just. Um, you know, they stay together. They're always on the side of right and stuff. This is the first time, we, oh, the first at least I'm seeing where like a companion has been like, oh no, they're in danger, or they're at least being succumbing to something from one of these threats. Um, you know, and I think that that again will come up again where there'll be companions that are like hypnotized or replaced or whatever, um, and put the doctor at, at threat. Well, if um, if the companions are not enthralling to me. And, you know, Troughton is not enthralling to me as Doctor. I mean, I understand his place in history. But what I find most interesting and what really makes this episode work to me is the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, that it actually is a solid plot. Is is it unique? No. Is it, you know, derivative? Absolutely. But it is quite interesting and it works for the most part. Um, it has a few, you know, twists, and I quite like the plot. I mean, it, this would do, you could basically adapt this as a present-day Doctor episode, and it would work fine. You could adapt this as a Star Trek episode, and it would work fine. Um, yes. It's just a solid plot. I, I almost think they have adapted it as a modern. I'm pretty <laughs> sure if you were to look through some of the like, present-day Who episodes, you you would find a correlation to this episode of turns up on colony finds colony has been corrupted by external force saves the day mm. like it's it's very much a standard uh who plot so i don't know it's good though i agree it's a solid plot and i'm and i'm glad it i'm glad it works over the four parts yeah and i i sort of think that it owes a lot to brave new world it owes a lot to sort of that uh brave new world 1984 you know that sort of fascistic uh you know fahrenheit uh 451 you know that's the i mean right down to the costumes of the stormtroopers um you know look very much uh fahrenheit 451 to me and control seems to come out of brave new world along with this hypnosis and stuff like that so that's interesting it doesn't go super deep in there but it sort of adapts that and uses that for a colony and i think it's quite clever to you know, I mean, like in a sense, I spent a lot of the episodes of the four episodes thinking I don't really need the uh, crab monsters. You know, I don't even <laughs> need the macra. Um, what's going on with this fascistic thing is story by itself. But at the end, I thought, well, it is a a clever um, turn of that fascistic story to say, right that's easy for the enemy to take control over the system of total authoritarianism. Um, it, it just needs a crab person to, you know, be in charge of it. So I, I really did like that. Yeah. I, I like it. Again, like the setup of the colony, as you say, it's a bit derivative, but again, this is still 67. So it's not, you know, um, it, it's, it's not, I suppose in that, you know, in 1967, it's still been relatively fresh to people, sort of like, you know, we haven't had the repetition of it. But again, I, I like this idea of this thing being like an authority. Like, but it, it, more than my liking it, it makes sense. Like, if you're going to set up a colony in space, and like you often see this, like, you need a hierarchy. 
Like, okay, mm-hmm. we need a structure and a hierarchy because we are not like we're not setting up in Devon. Like this is on a different planet. This has got different atmosphere. There is there is you know a harsh reality to this. We need a control system, um, in order to survive. And it feels like this colony's gone through that, and then come out the other side of that, but then maintained this structure and this hierarchy and this control. And it's sort of become almost like a a, a safety mechanism. Um, and then it's been corrupted and taken over. Um, there is one thing I was interested in, like the contr- control itself. Right? And I, I want to see what your thoughts are on this. Uh, is it the end of the second episode, possibly? Um, I think it must be the end of the second episode. They do, they, they, um, they breach or they break part of the control sort of thing. And they, they, it pulls up this image of this old man. Mm-hmm. It says, well, show me the controller, show me the controller. And so, because you've had this big blue face watching down on them as sort of like the controller. That's a um, still. Yeah, which it's is, yeah, thing, it's, just, right? it's just a big still of a face, and then the voice comes through. And they say, well, show me the controller. And basically, you get this sort of like withdrawn, withered, elderly man looking terrified. <laughs> and then, and yeah, they're like, well, that's not the control. Like, look at the, he's, I think one of them even says, that doesn't look like a man that's in control or something like that. Mm. Um, and then you see the shadows of the claws across him, and he sort of, you know, he looks terrified, and that's the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And then the crap, like the, the, in, the, in the next episode, it's clear the macro have killed him, and everyone still just carries on. But then I was like, okay, well, how does this work? Because after that, the macro are able to control all the machines and all this other stuff and do what they need to do. What function did this old man serve? I was confused by that, too. Um, yeah. You know, and given that the old man is, as far as we know, only seen that one time, clearly yeah. it's not a normal thing to demand to see him. Mm. Um, why even have him at all? Um, except, I guess, to... You know, you know, confuse people that yes, there really is a human in charge. Except you see the claws, so it's pretty clear. <laughs> you know, the, they're not the screen. Yeah, the screen doesn't hide it. It's not like you're going, yeah. oh well, he's he's perfectly fine, like a hostage video. Like, they're treating me very well, and the food is good. Like... <laughs> well, I get to eat crab all day. Yeah, um, yeah, presumably not. But um, yeah, I mean, do you think that he? sort of established he is the uh still image uh as a younger man and that he was sort of taken over by uh the macra and that they then used the pre-existing uh system of control and just sort of dominated the controller yeah i think and this thing you don't get an origin story like you don't get a causal reason for this happened but in my head i, I came up with this thing of exactly that like that image you see mm-hmm. on the screen is a younger version of him and at some point, you have a pilot, and I, I, I thought the, the name pilot was interesting, as this guy who's sort of in control, the front man of the things, right? Okay, has that come from when they actually travelled here, that the pilot of the mm-hmm. ship was always, was always considered the man in control, and they just maintained that title? Okay, that's quite a cool little, um, you know, a titling that's come from legacy. Like, it felt like it had a reason. But then you have this controller, yeah, like, you know, was he like the brains behind this thing that was like, yeah, this is what we're going to do and this is how it's going to work. But then I was like, okay, well, when did the mining come into it? Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, because they're mining a gas, aren't they? And then they've got these tunnels in place to direct it. So I'm like, okay, so this, and they keep getting told that that's what the colony needs to survive. 
So the oxygen, what do they think they're doing with this gas then? Yes, I was confused by that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it's not very clear. What what do they think that, I mean, do they think this is fuel that's powering their machines? Nobody ever says something. Mm. Um, but I do like the idea that the system of servitude, of almost slavery, is um, able to be exploited by the macro. That it's like, right, they do as they're told, they're used to mining, let's just have them mine the gas we need, and yeah. we'll just hole up in the control room. Yeah, and I kind of like, yeah, it, it gets, the end is is quite interesting, that sort of, like the way they've taken over, and they sort of live in these tunnels, and, you know, this control room. And the fact there's the mine, and that was that was the sort of like the final key to all this to me. Because at one point I was watching this and I was like, "Well, if they're doing like fracking, it's all doing with machines. So this isn't the worst scenario. Like the end of this could be like a reconciliation of like, hmm. well, actually, look, like, because they all look pretty happy and healthy and they're fed and and they're doing all right. So why is this a problem? And then you learn that there are the mines for those that are troublemakers or whatever they are sent down the mines and it's um what's the character's name the guy with the beard and the bowl cut uh the, one of the first ones oh, you see yeah i want to say malcolm but i don't think it is me doc me doc thank you he gets sent down there and that's obviously you know you see him down the mines later on and he actually says like because they say well the mines aren't very populated so yeah because people don't live very long down here so you realise that there is a sort of a punishment element to this. There is a sort of a sacrifice that's being made. So you go, oh, okay, well, there's a, that's a bit of a problem. And Ola is to is, you know, the security chief is more than happy to mm-hmm. um, send people to their send deaths. people yeah, exactly yeah. yeah. So and the, so the problem but, I but have... dude get a spacesuit <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right like you know they they have masks but you know they you see them but right I mean this could be easily solved by Maybe give them some protection when you send them into the mines. This was when I was like, yeah, when it gets to the end of the series, I had some real problems with the resolution of this show. Because uh, it's genocide? Yeah, yes, <laughs> literally, but yeah, because this when you find the macro, like the macro are trying to survive, and you go, yeah. first thing, like, are they indigenous? Like, did the colony do something that's actually affected them and they've had to adapt? And they're like, right, fine, we'll get them working for us. You, I don't get enough of the relationship. Like the doctor refers to them as parasitic, and so the show simply presents them as an enemy. They are the other. They are the alien. Therefore, they are the ones to be destroyed. But I'm going like, were they were they here first? <laughs> like, is this yes. their planet? It's uh, pretty clear to me that I mean, I I don't believe that they brought along like you know like um, red dwarf like it was somebody's pet crab that got <laughs> mutated, you know. And became the yeah. macra. Um, yes, no. I mean, this is this bothers me too. That the macra were presumably indigenous to this planet. They're <laughs> obviously intelligent, um, but when the doctor sees them in the control room, there's all this talk about how they're a virus and they're bacteria, yeah. which is really racist, you know, <laughs> trope language. And the and you know. The doctor says it, and everybody uh, who who's with him agrees. They must be destroyed. Well, why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was like, I, I don't, I don't see how there's not a reconciliation. Like, okay, there has been people died down in the mines. That though is not the macro's fault. 
it's poor. That's actually the colonists' fault because they're like, well, we gave them poor. We use it as a punishment. Yeah. Oh, well, that's not the macro's fault. That's actually your. You're the one that's in charge of health and safety, not them. <laughs> that's you know that that was more of the human factor. And so by the end of this, I, I was wholly expecting there, and maybe this is my mindset for like modern who. Mm-hmm. I was fully expecting there to be some reconciliation where the doctor's like, well, you can live alongside together in harmony and, you know, mm-hmm. it gives you a purpose and it can be, the, the gas can actually be used for this as well and all this other stuff. Like, I was expecting there to be this sort of, like, reconciliation. Nope. Just blow them up. <laughs> Move on. Yes. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And and it does seem, it does seem genocidal. Um, because there's also, it's not clear if there are other macra living deeper inside the planet, why do they need, if, if they are indigenous to the planet, why do they need this gas? If they're not, why would they need the gas also? I mean, none of that setup really makes sense. And it's not clear if there are other macra on the planet. If there were, I'm quite confident the doctor and others would want to go out and murder them all. I mean, yeah. it seems to me they're absolutely genocidal. And, Clearly, this is an intelligent, advanced species. I mean, I I did find myself sympathizing with the macro. No, more than anything, not the, the, the no the intelligent, and you know they can communicate. Mm. So that's what was it's you know, and they they are scared. At the end, of the, that was the problem I sort of had. <laughs> is when when the doctor does his thing and he's going to turn on the the out the inflow and the outflow for the pipes, it's going to cause an explosion. Like they are scared, and they're like, "Don't do that, please, please, no, stop him!" And I'm like, "Hang on!" Like, it made me feel really uncomfortable. That like, <laughs> the end of this shit series ends, like you said, in genocide. Um, and nobody and, mentions it. No, everybody's fine with it. Well, they have a big party at the end. You know, <laughs> the, the, and, the, they the, want, and they want to have a holiday for the doctor. They want to remember <laughs> him. It's like their liberator. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah, that's a, that's a, they want to make him the new pilot. Like he wants to be celebrated. Yeah. The other problem I had, and what, what, I think this sort of becomes part of this, with this sort of like let's say symbiotic relationship. I don't know how long this has been going on for. I don't know how many years this mining has been happening. But they have spent this entire time, and they're like, "Work is good. It is our purpose. We do this." You have literally just taken away the purpose of this colony. Whilst everyone's everyone celebrating, yay! They didn't all know they were under pressure anyway. Like, granted, there was a subliminal, so take away all that. That's fine. I understand. Definitely take away the subliminal control. What do they do tomorrow? <laughs> do they get up and they're all like, well, we were being fed before um, from control, but that's no longer happening. So we better sort of learn to farm on this this barren planet pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah, it's not clear where they get that food from or, you know, how this this economy works. But, yeah, I mean, you're quite right. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, it's also worth pointing out that they have lived for years equating, you know, work with happiness. Mm. Well, if you remove that work, you remove their entire social system. (laughs) What replaces it? We're really sad. (laughs) You know, it's not as if the gas wears off and you say, right. Everything that I've ever said to anyone else for 30 years was a lie. 
So let's just listen to some grunge music and, you know, uh, we don't have to do anything anymore. It's I think this go- I want this to go further. Like, I want this to be like, the Doctor returns to check in on them a year later, and it's absolutely it's like Mad Max. They've all just gone feral, and they're all fighting in the corridors. Like, Yeah, it's like Wrath of Khan. Like, you know, yes. look what you've done. Yeah, yes. Right. Yeah. The Wrath of Macra. I, you know, yeah. Uh, it, it does feel like that. Like you've just taken away everything that this. You've killed the macra and ruined this colony's purpose. Like, but you've not replaced it with anything. Well, uh, everyone's going to be able to dance and sing now. I mean, everyone will be a, a you know marionette. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, but I did feel this is this one of the. I did w- watching this. I felt uncomfortable at the end of this <laughs> series, where I was a little bit like, huh. That wasn't what I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I, I sort of expect it, you know, from from shows of this era. But yeah, I mean, I, I was also uncomfortable, especially but, once I, I clued into, you know, well, when they talk about they're a virus, yeah. that's where I start getting uncomfortable. You know, I'm like, hold on. I want to talk to those macro. Like, I, I want to, <laughs> you know, have a conversation with them. I actually think you make a good point actually there about shows of this era uh, and how you would expect it. I think the animation had a bit of a an effect on me mm. because I was watching this and going like, "Oh, cool, animated Doctor Who," and because it was so good uh, and I, I was enjoying it and I, the visuals are so good. I, yeah, there were times I was forgetting like, "Oh yeah, this is based on a 1967 show," or "This is a 1967 show." And the audio is such, and there are moments when it's a little bit scratchy and, and you know, almost inaudible. But, um, yeah, I think the animation set me up with, to think, oh, no, this is a much more modern story. And it's, it's not. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess having seen other animation, uh, animated reconstructions of, of Doctor Who, I mean, some of which are quite painful and, you know, have that same sort of pacing problem that mm-hmm. I feel with the Aztecs, where it's like, oh, my God. And and there are shots in like that here where I think, you know, really, it takes 30 seconds to walk across this scene, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. why are you, you know, do you not value my time at all? There was at um, least two where I swear they slowed down the animation, and I was like, this is bizarre, like, how slow these people are moving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I don't forget that it's an old episode, right? But but I, what I do find myself think, I don't, so I don't have quite that reaction, but I do have a voice in my head that says, um, you know, why, you know, like, it's the same sort of thing that I feel about a lot of old Doctor Who, where I think this needs an edit. Mm-hmm. And I, I think not just for speed, not just for, you know, the stuff that's padding, um, I mean, I think this would be a fantastic, you know, hour-long episode. Um, just a rip-roaring, you know, mm. great uh, hour-long Doctor Who episode. But, you know, but also an uh, an edit for sort of some of the themes that we're talking about. A sort of like, yeah, maybe don't talk about the macra the way Triumph of the Will talks about the Jews, you know? Yeah. Like just maybe not word for word, okay, Doctor? Yeah, that's it. it, it yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because it shows they have, you know, the, the, their thoughts on what the Doctor is is still 
evolving a little bit. Because like you say, Troughton is different to Hartnell. But there's still that thing of like, you know, well, they're the enemy, so I will kill them. Uh, which sort of starts to go, I think, sort of, you know, even within classic Who, I think, as you get into some of the later ones. Um, but yeah, there is, def- there is definitely sort of a, a, a binary thing of like, colonists, good, macro, bad. Like, there is no question of that. Yeah, and I think it's key that they uh, are so alien in appearance, right? Yes. I mean, it is this sense of a classic other, like, no matter how civil... I mean, they're clearly intelligent. They're running a colony. Yeah. They're, they're smart enough to take it over. They're not malicious. I mean, you do see them fighting humans, but they're not, like, torturing humans for fun. They want their gas to survive. And it does seem as if... Like, yeah, well, they're, they're crab people. There's no redemption for crab people. They're yeah. crabs. Um, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, the sense of morality is a sort of very simplistic one of, as you say, sort of our side, their side, us versus them. Um, also, they look different, so mm-hmm. they're inhuman, um, which is problematic in all kinds of ways. And also a sort of simplistic morality that values freedom. Even though freedom to what? What's your colony going to be doing? How terrible was it before? Now, I say all of this, and you know, you're saying like you expect a sort of like, or you want a sort of more modern Doctor Who morality. I mean, which you certainly saw, you know, Star Trek in this time and mm, stuff yeah. like that. But, you know, the modern Doctor Who, who, you know, would be troubled by these things. Having said that, you know, the not the most recent episode, but the most recent season of Doctor Who with Jodie Whittaker ends with the Doctor committing a double genocide that yes. is never commented upon. So yes. while everything you're saying is true, and, you know, we come from a later era that we want, you know, the Doctor to be a good guy uh, or, or girl, um, you know, it's not as if that's... I mean, it's ironic to me that a very recent episode just had a genocide. <laughs> yes. We were completely fine with, or the show was. I was going to, I don't think I was fine with it, but yes, I, I agree. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. Like you say, it, it, it definitely feels like it's here. Like that, that idea of, um, I, I think the thing is, it, it taps into fears, doesn't it as well? That's the other thing of like, what is this show tapping into? I was just checking this thing about subliminal control. Uh, I'm sure we've been around for a while because you've had things like uh, I don't when the Manchurian Candidate was made and all those other things. But like so, subliminal advertising had become sort of like a thing. From I, I saw the first one was um, 1957, and mm-hmm. so it it had become sort of more of a thing since then. And so th- this idea of subliminal control clearly in the zeitgeist, people clearly understood the potential for it. Uh, and so the fact that the macro are manipulating using subliminal control again stands them up as the 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 baddie if you will in this situation um but again like if you twist that and go well they just adapted to find a way to use an invading force to ensure their survival then again i'm still a bit like yeah i'm not wholly against what they're actually you know yes they probably could have been a better way they can communicate so they should have talked it out but they're still trying to survive. We invaded their I don't know. habitat, presumably. Yeah. 
But then again, we were talking just before this about this idea of of you know Britain and its place in in the in the, um, in the world. Don't forget, like this British mentality of, of imperialism was still pretty strong in the sixties. Of like you know, so. Well, I mean, the the macro are the Aborigines, you know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, we well, turned I up mean, and took over, and that's a good thing. Right. You know. Uh, well, I wanted to say that, um, you know, it's interesting to me that one one of the greatest complaints that I have about classic Who and and even of of modern Who is that it it rarely really wants to interrogate its subjects. Right. Mm-hmm. It uses themes and, it, and, and you know, especially the, the original series, um, not really in a sort of 2000 AD way of, of sort of stealing from the headlines or from what's popular. But it will take ideas like, um, you know, we've talked previously about, you know, the later serial with uh, that sort of steals from high rise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this obviously is taking from, you know, Brave New World and, and stuff like that. But it doesn't want to really explore what it is about the human condition that tends toward fascism um, or that is happy with this kind of situation, wants a control, right? There's, I mean, it's just a backdrop for an adventure. And in fact, having, you know, while I like the story, having the macra be responsible is not just racist because it presumes, you know, they're a virus, right? There's a, yeah. you know, it's pretty clear, but also racist in that, you know, going back to that imperial history, right? The, the Aborigines give them a chance and they'll take over and they'll enslave them. Yeah. Right. That's not really what's happening on the ground. But but there's a way in which you need to build up the the other into a menace, even though, yeah, the macro are, for all intents and purposes, the indigenous oppressed population here. You've just made them, you know, you've given them the position of power for the plot purposes in order to justify a genocide. But you know, in reality, you're the ones with the technology and all the power. Yeah, one person's virus is another person's freedom fighter. You know, it's just uh, like from the macro point of view, they were like, "Haha, we've adapted to this new invading force." Like it's yeah, it it, it <laughs> again. This is the problem, like you said. We go. We said this about the Aztec. When you go back, you have to accept things in there, the terms of the time that it was invested. And this is this is what I do. I look at this more like a pulp adventure. As you mm-hmm. say, like this is it, it works as a pulpy adventure, like it works at a pretty good pace overall. There's some good twists, there's some good action. The doctors are much more of an, uh, an engaging force. Um, uh, there's some there's some good humor. Um, when me doc's trying to escape and the doctor sort of just pops up and starts talking to him about <laughs> stuff, like it's all all that works incredibly well. And I'm, I actually overall I enjoy this as a pulpy adventure, but like you say, mm-hmm. it's not. It's it sort of presents a little bit of a theme and stuff, but it's clearly not. Yeah, it's not there to be interrogated in that way, or even going to attempt to give you anything other than a pulpy adventure. Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right, and I think that's very well put. And I and I think that it, it seems to me that all of that Brave New World 1984 stuff that I like so much. In this, that's a huge part of what I like about this 
serial is um, is really there to just make this not another boring generic colony. Yes. Um, and, and of course, it, it, it's relevant to the plot because that's used by the Macra to, you know, control the colony and, and, and whatnot. But really, it's what it's window dressing. Yes. It, you know, it, it's there to, you know, distinguish this. Well, how what are we going to, you know. Right. The, the doctor encounters an Earth colony that is surprisingly like Brave New World. And, you know, it's, it's the thing is, this idea of colonies as well. I want to sort of because colonies have become like a sci fi staple. Um, and in, in season four, we're going to talk about something very similar to this uh, in the sense of in, in Outland, uh, the Sean Connery film, which I'm very much looking forward to talking about. But the thing is, watching this, I did think about colonies. I mean, you know. There's the control element. They're wearing this, the lovely pressed and, and beautifully immaculate uniforms and costumes and stuff <laughs> like that. I do like the costumes. I do as well. Like even yeah. I, I wonder if I can check some of the slides and the, you know there's images and the, the, they have, some of them are quite good. But the, the designs are very good. I do like them. But one of the things I'm interested in is this idea of colonies. This this future thing we have of colonies and watching this did make me think of um, three things in particular. That sort of popped out as I was watching this, and it was so. Outland came to mind because that's a mining colony, and so I was like, okay, well, uh, when you watch Outland, when we get to it, and I'll t- we'll talk about it, but then it's a very industrial, a very sort of like you know, it's there to mine, and so it's a very sort of like, um, you know, cobbled together. It's very dirty. It's all this other stuff. It's like a roughneck kind of place because these are hardy people working in a sort of a tough environment. And so you go, okay, well, that's my expectation. You know, this is these are colonizers. And then I thought of like aliens. Um, you know, again, like the TARDIS appeared on LV426, you know, sort of like with the xenomorph being way more of a threat than the macra. <laughs> um, and again, that's sort of the, the other, that alien species. But then the other one that, that may come to mind actually watching this was Starship Troopers. Mm. Yeah, so with the, the bugs. With the bugs, yeah. yeah. And especially being intelligent and stuff. And so again, I was I'm watching this. I was like, we've obviously covered this, and the films have covered this time and time again. And and how that colony is, um, you know, uh, depicted slightly varies, but it's not very often that it's depicted to such an extent that in the credits or in some blurbs they'll describe it as a holiday camp. Um, <laughs> th- th- this is not a new colony, mm-hmm. um, but the whole setup was really interesting to me. That like how organized and bureaucratic it all felt compared to these later versions of, of colonies that we are shown and is that still like a british thing is that like a british 60s thing of how how bureaucratic and organized this thing is compared to like aliens and outland and, and say starship troopers here in tommy's holiday camp yeah <laughs> camp with a difference yeah no i mean i i think you're right I, that is fascinating i mean i like the sort of 60s um you know colonies that you see on star trek and mm-hmm. you know with a, with the costumes and you know and and you know it's all very clean it's all very you know uh like you say sort of bureaucratic and, and organized um but i mean as as much as i enjoy this serial i, th- I think we're sort of pointing out you know how <laughs> I mean, this may be one of the most racist, vile stories <laughs> in, in Doctor Who. I mean, really, this is, you know, you, you talked about this sort of British efficiency, British bureaucracy. I mean, 
Right. The this is sort of a metaphor for I mean, if we run this as like the Aborigines, right, we've got these good British colonizers who are very bureaucratic, very efficient, uh, you know, willing to, uh, you know, they have willing to send people into the mines. But, you know, um, you know, very but have a system of law and order and justice and, and all of these things may be prone to fascist control. But. That fascism is never really questioned or interrogated much here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you do see Medoc sort of running from it. But the central threat, instead of interrogating, wait a minute, we're sort of fascist colonizing bastards, aren't we? <laughs> you know, instead it's like, oh, no, the problem are those aborigines who need to be exterminated and then we'll be free. Well, yeah, is it? <laughs> would, you, would you would you be expecting like that moment, like in The Walking Dead, where you know Rick Grimes like to the, you know to the people surviving, like no, no, we are the Walking Dead. Would it be sort of like you know the pilot turning around to his colonizer, going like, no, no, we are the virus. Yeah, sure. I mean, and and that would happen today. I mean, yeah, you know, as we were talking about these changing attitudes, I do think that. I mean, you see it even, you know, we've seen it in talking about Doctor Who. We've seen it in talking about the Twilight Zone on on the Patreon is, you know, so often I think it is our instinct today to identify with the other. Mm. Um, And we if we have an android, that android is going to be someone we sympathize with, even if they're not the main character. The main character might still be a white bloke, but, you know, the android is going to be characterized. And, and sympathize with. Um, that was not true in the 60s, and clearly <laughs> is not true here. Uh, and I just think that's, that's you know, a, a change of time. But let it never be said that that is infusing those more recent stories with politics, because just as clearly this story has politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, saying... These are in, an inhuman virus that just needs to be exterminated uh, without any concern is absolutely a political statement. Oh, totally. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a thing, you know, obviously about the, the other, as you say, that political statement. But also this idea of work is, we you know, live to work. Mm. This idea of being manipulated or being shown how happy you are um, to work. I mean, there's one bit where, as you say, you, you've got the you know the marionettes, those sort of like you know cheerleader types with the batons and things. But you've also got like a, a sort of like a a choir of happy chappy people that are just sort of like you know yay 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 to work. <laughs> and the, the guy's actually running um, like a, a singing audition or something at one point for these people, and he says it's our job to keep up morale. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of maintaining this happiness to keep working. And they're there, I don't know what they do. Like, you know, but at one point, he captures Jamie and he makes him do a dance. And so he's like, well, I'll, do, I'll do the Highland fling, which is all great. And I actually found it's a it's a funny little scene because um, he says, why do you call it the fling? He says, because I fling myself out the door. And I thought it was all, it's silly, but it, it, it made me chuckle. But it's this idea, again, of... The British work to me, I was watching again. Like, okay, well, is, is, is this sort of like the British worker? This idea of like, you know, living to work, like, we are going to have it so that you, you know, you love your work. I mean, you know, we, we're not into the sort of the 70s uh striking yet, you know, the uh, the, the miners' strike and 
uh, rubbish piling up in the streets. That comes 10 years later. But there's still this notion of sort of like, you know, your place is to work, you know, sort of you, you reach an age and you go into work and you become whatever um, and you're happy and that is your lot. And, you know, you should be you should almost be pleased to have that and, and be pleased to be working. Do we not feed you? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Almost like, yeah, that thing of like, you mentioned about like, you know, before we started, we're talking about like that idea of Downton Abbey, this idea of sort of like, you know, well, you're in servitude, but do you not get fed? Do are you do you not have a job? And do we not pay you? Mm. But this this idea of just this servitude or this this position of being the worker and being happy and being told that you should be happy to be such. I mean, that's been around for years. I mean, it's one of those things we're sort of experiencing now, isn't it? Of people going like, well, I'm not bloody happy to do it and screw you and your job. But I wondered if like, I, I couldn't find, I didn't look deep enough, but it did feel to me like this impression for the 60s where it was that sort of like, especially younger people, probably a bit more free love and a bit more sort of like wanting to experience a different thing to the 50s generation. And it was like, you know, no, no, no. We're all happy to work. But then it does say, well, you've been manipulated to do such. So I don't, I don't know. That felt like something to me. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I mean, just to tease that out, and I don't, I haven't thought about this, but I mean, I think that there is this way in which that is sort of questioned, um, you know, the sort of, it, yeah, are you happy working? And also the sort of very British, uh, don't question your, your betters kind yes. of, you know, yeah. hierarchy. Um, and, and all of that is definitely portrayed negatively. But the solution to that is, right, kill the Aborigines, uh, <laughs> metaphorically. But then also one of my pet peeves, which is this sort of ill-defined freedom. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think you're quite right that, that those things are interrogated, but what, you know, or, or questioned. But again, I mean, this is not really, you know, going too deep. It's, it's, a, it's a pulp story, as you say. But one of my pet peeves is this sort of like, so the solution is freedom. And we're free now. Right. Well, what does that mean? I mean, does that mean nobody gets food allotments anymore? I mean, and, and we do this thing over here in the States, especially. I mean, you know, I mean, we're talking about. We're recording this as, um, you know, the the truckers in Canada are protesting, you know, and, and people are attacking school boards and literally just breaking windows of schools, you know, in anger over being forced to wear masks because my freedom. And it's like there is this amorphous idea of, well, you're free now. Right. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, it, does we, that mean that I have the free time to, to go go to the uh, colony library and read uh, Sartre and philosophical tracts? I mean, does that mean that I have and what is the education like here? Is the food allotment going to continue? I, I don't know any of this, but damn it. Now I'm free. This idea of freedom has, has become such an incredible sort of um, what's the word? Um, not so much a talking point. It's red meat. They call it red meat to the back benches. They call it over here. So this idea of <laughs> you know freedom. We have a slightly we have a, a secondary element to this as well uh, in Britain. This idea of sovereignty. Mm. 
and if you want to go down this path and you know we say you, you know let's not try and do it you know i'm trying not to do this but i'm going to do it anyway you could take this idea if we are manipulated and we've been told to enjoy and to you know live by certain rules and to do certain work and now we have our sovereignty back i'm taking terror of the macro as a brexit story <laughs> yeah i was going to say the macro is brussels <laughs> yeah, yeah the macro is is the is the eu and the doctor is boris johnson and he saved us and gave us our sovereignty back um well the I... only difference is brussels doesn't want uh gas what yeah. they what they want is your fish, damn it! <laughs> exactly. They, yeah, yeah. Um, however, if you you know, let's be honest. So, this colony, this this small, you know, uh, let's call them an island nation, was saved from <laughs> this, this this other that has been corrupting them into uh, doing the work for them by a a scruffy man with dis disheveled hair uh, and an ill fitting suit. Yeah. No, I'm saying this. This this is prophetic. This story. <laughs> oh yeah, I make I'm making very tenuous <laughs> links, but you you were right. This idea of sovereignty, well, don't, freedom. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous because <laughs> you know this scruffy man with an ill-fitting suit employs a Scot. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah, that's the one problem. That's the one problem. Yeah, the Scottish too, guy is the one that's done, the one that's done, yeah, the Scottish person stands by him. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, this idea of freedom, you're right. This idea of sort of sovereignty and freedom to to be oneself and is is. is I'm not going to, you know, I'm not saying we should all be controlled. I agree, but it's so malleable, and so I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to be controversial, and maybe you'll heavens hear no. <laughs> it, it's also incredibly selfish. Yeah. This idea of freedom, of sovereignty, you know, you get the sovereign individual, don't you? Like, I have mm. the right to be me. The sovereign you know? citizen movement. You know? Exactly. Yeah. That your your rules don't apply to me. And we get all, all we get over here as well. Like you can't arrest me because I do not acknowledge your, you know, your authority. You know, that's great. I have got a truncheon. Maybe that'll acknowledge your face. You know, it's it, like yeah. I, I know that you I know the skin color of anyone who has ever said these statements. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there's a minority going up. Like, Ilden is less than just watch. This isn't gonna go <laughs> yeah. well. Um Well I say understand. that, but you know, yeah. we we managed to take our white shooters into custody over here. You That's know. very true. Unless they show uh, some sign of mental illness, in which case they mm. get shot down by twenty guys on the highway. But different story. Um but yeah, no, this idea of sovereignty and freedom is so, it's bizarre. Because even in this, at the end of this, when the macro are destroyed, and they're like, we're free! And you're like, to do what? Right. What is it that you want? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and this is, look, I mean, you know, my, my, you know, my country fought a revolution for freedom yeah. from your country. Um, you know, that was about a lot of things, you know, not least of which taxation and, you know, disconnection from, you know, from uh, the bureaucracy. Um, but, you know, it, it seems to me that, you know, and we see this in movies, right, where, you know, you, you've thrown off the alien invasion and then you get, you know, the, the wreckage of Washington, D.C. and you get your, you know, uh, people lifting up their, their hands and, you know, we're free, we've thrown off the, the invasion. Right, your country is a shambles, 
There are yeah. no food, you know, we've seen with COVID, like what happens when, uh, you know, shipments start breaking down. Right. What are you going to eat tomorrow? Uh, yeah. What's your plan for any of this? And and it seems to me that whether it's freedom or sovereignty, I mean, sovereignty is, you know, a pet peeve of mine uh, because nobody is sovereign. I mean, we, nope. we have treaty interests. I mean, I, I'm proud of uh, my country for uh, pioneering, even if we commit them ourselves, uh, crimes against humanity. The second you're proud of that, you've acknowledged we are not sovereign. We are subject to international law and, and better for it. So sovereignty seems to me especially stupid, but this sort of amorphous freedom, like, <laughs> right, you, you know, you have this freedom, but if you can't get a job because you look different or, you know, uh, you know, or or you're poor, you know, I mean, over here, people will, will talk about freedom and I'll think, right, you don't have, you know, you don't have health care. You <laughs> barely have a roof over your head. Uh, you know, you're working for, a, you know, minimum wage at a job where you're treated like shit, but you, are, but you have this myth that that's okay because you've made that quote-unquote choice, right? Well, you're not a slave, so you've made this choice, so that means you're free. Well, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, you know, you... I'd say this: you get this idea that you you hear it chanted. This this is not even an Americanism. I think this is uh, like I hear this elsewhere. It's I would rather you know I'd rather mm. die free than live oppressed. Braveheart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and even with Braveheart, Braveheart. Yeah, I, I love the fact that uh, you know at the end of the film it actually acknowledges like you know well they they stayed um, you know so, uh, subservient to the British for a further seven hundred years, but at least <laughs> but at least he tried. Um, but that's the thing is that this idea of sort of like you get these sort of on the sound bites, you know, like say, you know, um, I'd rather die free than than live oppressed, or sort of like no, yeah. But then the counter of that is no man is an island, mm. and so you know, I, I find these this this hilarity at the moment, this idea of this sovereignty or sort of like individual freedoms. But then they'll be like, but everyone needs to reach out and talk, and we need to share our feelings. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm happy to do that. In fact, I want to do that. Because, you know, I think it's good therapy. I think it's good relations. However, everybody else is clearly telling me that they're a sovereign individual. But this all comes and this comes back to this idea of the, the social contract. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, we all live, you know, you and I, we, you know, well, let, let, I, I'm sat in a house. This house is attached to another house. I live in a, in a semi-detached house. I have an entryway on one side and a house attached to on the other side. Now, if I was to play heavy metal music at two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. at a very loud volume, my sovereign, my fr- I'm free to do such a thing, you know, as long as it's below a certain amount of decibels and it's not bothering the entire neighbourhood, the police aren't going to get involved. But I can tell you right now, my neighbours are going to be a bit annoyed. So there's right. an element where you just go, well, all right, well, in order to keep the peace and to actually not to be a prick, I will turn my music off at a certain point or I will turn it down or I will do things because you have that social contract. But this well, is idea... possibly the law, you know. Well, law aside, it's just this idea of how you have to survive and how mm-hmm. we agree to live in a society. Yeah. And so there's this idea of, like, you know, I hated that whole thing of, like, in the Joker. Um, you know, we live in a society. It's like, I don't even get what it all means, but this idea of like, you do, you're not an individual. Like, we are all cogs in a machine. And yes, I fully accept that we are being taken advantage of by certain elements of that society. 
And so mm -hmm. we need to adjust how it all works. But the fact of the matter is, in this country, for example, we have food banks going up the wazoo. Like food banks are more sort of like in demand than ever before. How, yeah, how is it that within a country where we have freedom, right? And we are right. looking at this social contract, we should be looking at this and going like, this idea of freedom should mean that everybody is free to do these things. And well, so it's not, yeah. So I, I hate you have the NHS. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. I mean the, for now, the, for now, right? Well, I mean the thing is. You know, I think of one of the reasons why, I mean, to be honest, and, and I know we're pushing the politics, but one of the reasons why I am so suspicious of it, I hate the superficial talk of freedom, is, you know, the jingoism over here of sort of like, well, I'm proud to be an American because at least I know I'm free. And it's like, right. <laughs> if your kid has cancer and you don't, you know, you're fucked. I mm. mean, you, you know, because you can't go to a hospital and get chemo. You know, you'd better find some charity that's going to subsidize you. And in order to do that, you better hope that they don't look at you and say, yeah, you look kind of Muslim. Not sure we want to take you. I mean, you're subject yeah. to, you know, the vagaries of, of I mean, so at, at, what is the point of that freedom? And I and I am proud to be an American. I mean, mm. you know, I mean, I, I and I we were talking about patriotism before and I and I want England. I want France to be uh, to have a healthy patriotism. I think I have a healthy patriotism, but there is no problem to which. Well, at least I know I'm free is an acceptable damn answer, right? Well, this is it. This is it. Yeah, we are free to. It's the same over here. Like you know, and I think COVID has really brought this to the fore, isn't it? Like, I'm free to do whatever I want. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to have a vaccine. You go, all right, fine. In that case, well, I'm free to tell you to then to do one. I'm free to say, yeah. you are not allowed in my shop. You are not allowed in my restaurant. You're not allowed in my house. Sure. And you go, well, that's oppression. No, 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 that's freedom. <laughs> right. That's my freedom to tell you to go away. Like, I am, you know, that's how it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a border and you're saying, well, you know, we're going to put up a wall on that border. Well, that, that goes two ways. Well, we don't want your stuff coming in. And the other side is going to go, well, we don't want your stuff coming in either. So... It's this this the idea of a contract has really got to start coming back. Um, I, I, I saw this idea on there's a thing on it was talking about freedom actually. It was on TikTok today, and you talk about this, this was an American thing about healthcare, and it it broke my heart. And I was I couldn't like, to the extent I couldn't watch it. I had to sort of flick on, and then I ended up coming back to it to watch it because it bothered me. There was a woman in tears. Her I think seven or eight year old son has got type one diabetes or type two, whichever one needs insulin. I can't remember, but um. Anyway, she, he's been diagnosed from a young age and he needs it uh, at least like twice a day, I think, to maintain. And the cost of the prescription has been going up again and again and again to the extent that the prescription is now $1,000. A month? Uh, a, 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 I don't know. Per, 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 she went in to get this like, prescription. Yeah, and it was like $1,000 for whatever that prescription was to fulfill. She didn't say what. And she was in tears because she's like, I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. I just cannot afford it. I don't know what, I'm, and she was in the car, having come at the chemist, and she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I have to tell my son that he cannot have his next, next dose of insulin, or we're going to have to cut back and, and ration the insulin. And then it's yeah, that, that's happening, that's been happening for a long time over here insulin yeah. rationing, right? <laughs> and then this guy, this doctor, duetted with it, and he was an English doctor, or a British doctor, I should say, so, apologies. And he said, um, he said, This is baffling to me. He said, Not just because of the American healthcare system. 
He said the guy that discovered insulin, when he realized what it could do, he waived his patent mm -hmm. so that it could be free for everyone and it should be distributed as such. He said, so there is no patent charge on this. There is no one that holds a patent for it. It's just a matter of making it. He said, so, do, so, these, so this, pharmacy, this pharmaceutical company isn't, there is no charge for any of this. There's, there's the chemicals and stuff that goes into making it. But he said, that is, he says, this is what it says. Like, this was originally set up as an act to free these people so that they could live a life. And now it's been used as an element of control. And it was just heartbreaking to think, like, yeah, that's the, the, this, this, but it's, it comes back to freedom. It's what capitalism is. Right. She, that, that, that company she, is. She, she's free to make a choice to buy that insulin or not. Right. And they are, and they are free to charge whatever they want. Right. But that's free. And that's where freedom comes to this selfishness. It's not, it should, you know, we need to have this idea of a society that works as a contract. You're right. We've gone off on a whole political yeah. rant tangent. We'll, we'll pull it back to Doctor Who in a sec, but. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, uh, it does reflect the, the superficiality of the liberation narrative, you know, that, that this episode has, you know, sort of, you know, just throw off the oppressor and everything's fine. Um, but, you know, I, I certainly I certainly understand exactly what you're talking about. And it is infuriating to me, too. And, and, and again, this notion of freedom does not add anything to this conversation. Um, it, it literally just is a non sequitur, um, you know, and there are times where it's not, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a reconstructed capitalist, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with a free market in theory, but all of these theories don't matter if you can't eat or you yeah. can't give your kid insulin for God's sake. And, you know, I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine who was a philosophy major and was talking about how now we're really a field, but was talking about how, um, you know, all philosophical schools are essentially top down, right? That there mm -hmm. has not, you know, that there needs to be philosophy that goes from the bottom up from our material circumstances and constructs an idea of good and evil based on that. And I thought, yes, that's exactly what I believe. And, and you know, to me, all of these ideologies of capitalism or freedom or, or, you know, um, what, or, you know, control all of these themes uh, and ideologies do not matter if the reality on the ground is what you're discussing yeah. and what, whatever that system is, it's broken and this should not be this way. And we can do better as a society, as a, as humanity ultimately mm. because you know i mean if an alien came from outer space and said what the hell are you doing this objectively makes no sense um you know well, it doesn't i mean the thing is you, what you said there is and it's, it's a fine point actually all philosophy um and again these are ideologies and, and this idea of sort of like you know economic structures and models does not get discussed or, or um considered or whatever until you reach a certain level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the fundamental. I always go back to Maslow because that hierarchy of needs, and you, know, you could probably change it a little bit to, to modernize it, but it's still fundamental because those first couple of layers, you know, the idea of safety and, and you know, uh, base needs and other things, everyone always, always talks about those top two. 
you know, the eventual thing of getting to self-actualization. And that's where you get all the philosophizing and all this other stuff. But you can't do that without going through the others. And part of that is obviously, like, you know, self-awareness and all this other stuff. Like you have to do some work. But another part of it is having the time and the money to be able to do that. Yeah. If you don't have the time and the money, then you are trapped at that bottom of that hierarchy. And everything about everything, everyone that's in those upper layers will can completely control how you get in or out of those lower hierarchies. Right. And there, and there are people who will say that the system is designed to do that. Right. Yeah. So because we need our servant uh, cast. And so uh, best not to give them too much time or, or to, you know, intellectual entertainment or anything, um, you know, best to keep them work to be happy. Exactly. I, I almost think, and this is, um, maybe we'll get to this at the end, because I'm sure there'll be others. If you were to watch them all back to back, and I'm sure there'll be like other Doctor Who fans that could probably tell us this, that have similar outcomes where you go, ah, actually, this one doesn't work. Like the Doctor escapes or gets away, but actually mm. he's left like wreckage in his wake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit like, I, I almost want, I'd like them to have like if it be a short series or like a you know like a, a mini series or a, a, a season or whatever they do, where the Doctor is actually confronted with when you were younger, like you made some really stupid mistakes. Guess what? You've got a time machine. Mm. Like you need to go back and fix some of this stuff. Like and he goes back to this this colony and it's like you know six months after the Amakra terror, and it's <laughs> it, and it's an absolute shambles. You know, there's a like, you know, there's a mass breakdown of discourse. People are issues. keeping slaves, like sort of, uh, yeah, you oh, know, yeah, Fury a, Road style. Yeah, there's like a yeah, yeah, there's a guy running around like you know, wearing a hockey Face mask paint. and just a hockey mask and a cup, and that's it. Um, <laughs> like, I would love that to be the case where like somehow something intercedes right. and says like, don't, like don't, you may have become a better man, and obviously the time war has fed that. But you you have left some stuff in your wake that you before anything happens, you know, before you end up on trends of law, you've got to go back and sort some of this stuff out. I'd love to see that and actually yeah. go back and go, you know, yeah, we can actually apply a more modern morality to this. And he's actually going to clean up some of this mess he left behind. Well, I mean, I mentioned Wrath of Khan, but I mean, you could totally mm. do a, a macro terror sequel that, you know, where people have been plotting revenge against the doctor. Yeah. Um, you, it's interesting because you mentioned the, the hierarchy of needs. Um, well, let's run that analysis on this episode. It's the macra that have the, are on the lowest level. Yes. You know, they want to breathe. <laughs> Everybody yeah. else is in these posh environments. They have, Food is not a concern. There's enough surplus of labor to have a marionette squad. I mean, you know, <laughs> things are things are pretty good for that population. The macro are like, I'd like to breathe, sir. Yeah. But they're put in charge, so and they're and they're, you know, crab people, so we think of them as the bad guys. Yeah, you're right. You are totally right. Like they are the ones that are trapped. You know, the atmosphere is what traps them. They are literally trapped by their circumstances and so have had to adapt to survive. You know, this isn't an invasion. This isn't like, um, I would think of like, you know, I think back to, to, to Quatermass 2. You know, this isn't mm. some sort of bio thing being sprung up on Earth to, to manipulate a workforce. No, this is like, yeah, you, you sort of knackered our planet and we want it back. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, again, we don't really know that they're indigenous, but it's sort of implied. I mean, there's no mm. indication that they, they brought anything well, with no, them. The, the, no, the, well, yeah, no, um, it's, again, in, it's not stated. However, when the Doctor is looking at the, the, the inflow and outflow pipes, in, mm. I think it's an episode, uh, towards the end of episode three, and they're looking at how this works in this pipes, and Jamie is the one that's in the mines, Mm-hmm. The doctor says it's clear they have had something down there for many, many years. Mm-hmm. So he's aware that, like, well, this has been around. Th- these tunnels have been around for like uh, he might even say eons. I don't know. But he says they've definitely like many, many years. So it, it suggests to me that they were there first. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that's the most logical, mm-hmm. logical thing. Yeah. So yeah. So the macro. <laughs> it's um, yeah. It's where you go. Like, yeah, this is fun, but the more I'm picking out, the more sort of like yeah. it doesn't. Well, I mean, two things about that. One, I was thinking like, well, the macro, uh, we're like, yes, we have hypnotized you. On the other hand, can you blame us? Yeah. Like, we need to breathe, and you have clearly shown you are not to be trusted. And you know, the only way we could make you give us the the gas we need to breathe and live is by tricking you through hypnosis because you just look at us and all you see is a crab that needs extermination and yeah. you pretty much proved it the first chance you got. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, this is, if it's not even like they're eating them. No. If they were like harvesting the humans, which I'm sure comes up, I'm sure has been done in, in classic who at some point, but you know, if they were even like harvesting the humans for food or something like, you know, in the mines, people constantly go missing. Oh, well, they're actually eating them. Okay, now they're becoming a bit more of a threat. You know, like no, we've they decided more that, evil. Yeah, they, yeah. There's there's an actual physical threat, and like, but there's none of there's not even that. Like people die in the mine because of exposure to the gas and because of the amount of work they have to do. But that that could all be resolved. <laughs> With a de- decent health and safety regime, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, we, the 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 macro are like, right? We're going to implement OSHA regulations and yeah. just yeah. fix this right up. Yeah, but but I did want to. I also want to say that you know we've gone off on politics, but um, but I do think it's you know we both I like this episode. Mm-mm. Um. You know, and I'll still defend this as a as a fun, pulpy episode. I think it's you know a, above average for for classic Who, um, and I think you know, and I and I, I do want to say that it is okay to like stuff and still say this is kind of an anti-indigenous people's yeah. you know massively racist plot that that has a lot of problems. You can say that and still like it. It's mm. safe to to say, yeah, this is some pulpy fun. On the other hand, we acknowledge these problems, um, and I think too often, too often, both sides of the equation, frankly, equate those two and say, well, you've got to throw it away if it's got problems, or you know, liberals are saying this has problems, so you know, I just want to enjoy my classic Doctor Who. We enjoy our classic Doctor Who. Mm. That doesn't mean we have to shut our brains off. No, and that sort of, I think, if anything, you know, if you if you are saying, 
I just want to enjoy my classic who. And they say, that's fine. I'm happy for you to do so. But a big part of enjoying a show like this is the fact of taking it and saying, yeah, in fact, saying it has its problems. It doesn't take away from the fact that actually this show is, you know, like you say, it's good fun. Um, Trouton actually works as, is actually, I actually really quite like him as the doctor. Um, and the even like some of the cool, the macro do, yeah, the macro <laughs> designs are good. I like this idea of the bureaucracy and the poly, you know, the sort of the the disharmony between the pilot and Ola. Um, all that works for me. Like it's a story, it works. It's just the it? it's just the finale when you're like, yeah, this sort of opens up all kinds of unfortunate questions. But again, I also accept this was a serial, as we've said, made by the BBC. For a Sunday evening or whatever, for the family to come to get to get together and was supposed to have a bit of a cliffhanger and was never really meant to be seen again. Right. Hence the junking program. Right. I mean, we, we should say for for listeners that, uh, you know, the BBC, I, I think it was in the 70s, went through and, and started junking old mm-hmm. t- and they called it the junking program. They were just mm-hmm. like, right, our archives are too big. You know, just go in there and find old tapes and get rid of them. Um, and a lot of Classic Who was saved because it was exported to other countries. Now, again, Britain owes its patrimony only exists because of other countries. Yeah, um, Australia, I think, is a big part of that. They they had a lot and they gave it back. So, mm. yeah. So, you know, um, so we are watching this you know, sort of reconstructed. I mean, the BBC didn't think this was worth preserving. Um, yet, here we are watching it, and now the BBC is paying people to make an animated version of this, you know, of this thing that was designed to be disposable. And that, that disposability, though, that, that idea of it being disposable is clearly important. Like, you were never supposed to think, like, th- this level of, of discourse yeah. and analysis that we are <laughs> applying to it, was never intended like yeah. when they wrote this they were like what are the cliffhangers in it right you've got this this and this brilliant what's the resolution they get blown up excellent that'll be exciting move on well the fact that it wasn't intended doesn't mean that i mean doesn't mean that uh like any text it shouldn't be those no. things aren't present um and you know and i don't know i mean i'm sure that even on uh, BBC, on the BBC in the 60s, there were some of these discussions. It, it's not mm-hmm. as if people weren't aware of implications of their plots. Uh, it's just that you're churning this stuff out at a massive clip uh, and, and know that if you screw it up, um, right. I mean, it's going to be re-aired once and maybe exported to the colonies, and that's about it. Yeah, and that was always the intent, wasn't it? It was like, because I mean, the, the thing again, we've got to remember, I said this was being shown on television in the 60s, it was being produced as a serial to counter cinema and the growth of, you know, sort of like trying to keep that balance. But the other thing as well, as you say, there was no thought of home home entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, to the extent that the, much like you know, I, my love of novelizations is well known, and again, these went through a similar process. You know, if you couldn't get a film, there was no way you were going to get a film, so they novelized it and you read the novelization, or you then you might catch it later on television at some point in the future. But the same with Doctor Who, like in the 80s, mm-hmm. or in the, I think in the 70s, they novelized all these stories, 
every single Doctor Who episode of the classic series got a novelization. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that was how you enjoyed it post watching it. That was how you re rewatched it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there might be repeats, you know, the BBC probably would repeat some stuff later. But yeah, no, there was no intent of it at this point. So um, it's interesting how much they did get away with in that, in that respect. Um, so well, do you find that interesting? I did want to say that, you know, uh, before we wrap up, I mean, I did want to talk about how other other issues that are that are sort of annoyances with this episode as as well as good stuff i mean and i do i do enjoy this but it does seem to me that for a fascistic society they really let people run around uh unsupervised an awful lot and they talk tough like you know well you're you're in trouble well, you know you'll go to jail for that you know but <laughs> No, but it's just like, right, you'll go to jail. How are we going to put you in jail? We'll summon the guard. Oh, you left before the guard got there? Well, I guess there's nothing we can do but let you run around some more. I I completely understand Ola's frustration in this series. (laughs) Because his job is to be the... He is chief of police. His job is to... And he keeps saying... Look, they've committed a crime against our (laughs) rules. At least let's lock them up. Mm-hmm. And the pilot's like, well, they didn't know. I'll leave it for now. And then the doctor literally walks into a cell and lets someone go. And yes. they run off. And then the, again, the, doctor, the owner's like, look, can we just lock these strangers up? They, can't, they clearly can't be trusted. And the pilot's like, well, they're here now. And they've sort of given themselves up. And so, you know, let's let them off. Repeatedly. Yes, I, I, I can imagine that Ola's just like smacking his head against a wall, going, like, "I can't do my job because it keeps getting." I, he's angry for a reason, right? Like I know you think I'm the bad guy here, but yeah. Yeah. we need some control over this. Yeah, I one you, of the most... you literally gave me a job. Let me do it. <laughs> yes, and I thought I thought one of the most ridiculous moments of this is where everybody's told to stay in their rooms. Right, you don't yeah. go out at night. And yeah. ostensibly, this is so you don't see uh, the macra wandering around the city at night. So Midoc has escaped and he's he's run away. And the doctor just leaves. No, there's no cameras on the door. There's no detection. A locking like, mechanism. Yes. <laughs> but the doctor just goes out. He he hangs out with Midoc, helps him escape for a while, and then they, they get captured. And so he has both broken curfew and then gone out and helped a uh a criminal continue to evade the authorities and me doc says uh oh no he was convincing me to turn myself in and they say oh right well good on you uh you know no problem then we won't throw you in prison <laughs> wait a minute he went out and broke curfew yeah. and what is it his job he's just arrived here it's not his job to go tracking down escaped convicts and convince them to turn themselves in <laughs> yeah. so absurd <laughs> well there's a moment at the end when like ola's temper gets the better of him like he really boils over and he actually says to the pilot he's like your authority is is ridiculous like you know you're yeah. running this place into the ground and there's a part yeah. going like yeah no you're right <laughs> like, absolutely yeah i mean i'm completely alone. again ola is supposed to be sort of like the baddie but the, the yeah. amount of times i'm like no you're right <laughs> yeah and he uses the word ridiculous and i, I yeah. and i think 
it's one of those moments where a script sort of acknowledges the uh, the problem or, you know, puts a spotlight on the on the narrative problem. And yeah, there's no, you know, yeah, this is ridiculous. They've run around forever. There's no. Right. I think everybody's got to agree with that. Yeah. And I do like, but the thing is, it makes me chuckle. Like, I like that. Yeah. It, I, I took it again. You know, I did notice that. And I, you know, I kind of like Ola and his building frustration. <laughs> and uh, again, I was like, this feels like it's intentional humor. Like, mm. they are playing the, there's an absurdity to this that is clearly like they're, they're playing with the humor of it. And I, I enjoy, I definitely enjoy that. That relationship is quite uh, entertaining. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I may be a little more bothered by them running around, but I agree with you that as uh, Ola points this out and, and says, this is out of control, this is ridiculous. Yeah, it is, it is fun. And you don't, yeah. you don't mind it. I mean, it, it is sort of like, yeah, we know we're a pulpy serial and yeah, we're not going to apologize for it. You know, we're not going to pretend that this is. But that, 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 that point when he says about it being ridiculous, that is the point when the doctor comes in and sort of makes them up and, and sort of treats them like school children and says sort of like, you know, oh, what's all this? You know, oh, I, I understand you're upset with each other, but, you know, Ola apologised to the pilot. Pilot apologised to Ola. And then yeah. sort of interrupts. And you can still, Ola's like ripping his hair out. Like, what? <laughs> this strange is now telling me what to do. Like, this is madness. Like, yeah, yeah. I, it, 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 it kind of works well in that sort of... Um, it feels, you know, again, like oddly, um, having gone back and listened to our sort of, you know, talk recently about uh, Terry Gilliam and, and sort of like Brazil and that idea of sort of like the ludicrousy of bureaucracy, like mm. and hierarchy and the people that do sort of go, well, you are my boss, so I will do exactly what you say, yeah. and because and we need we do need a B sixty two three form, that sort of thing, like it, it it does slightly poke fun at that as well, where like. I'm just like, well, all right, well, you are the pilot, so I've got to do as you say. Or can, mm-hmm. but then they do counter that because although there's that frustration, Ola is in support of control. Yes. Um, because c- control is also saying, lock them up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is that point at the end where um, control says, you know, uh, don't listen to uh, the the leader anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it it does have those little moments of, that are quite good fun, um, and like I say, like almost like I say, poking fun at itself. Yeah, um, I mean, it's I do think that it sort of undermines the totalitarian sort of brave mm-hmm. new world stuff to have them running around so yeah. easily, um, and and yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by that sort of presentation. I want to see more of it, um, but you know. It, I, I think this is sort of intrinsically a problem with those kinds of narratives, right? You've got to have your heroes running around and, and, and doing things, and yet they're in a totalitarian state. And occasionally, you know, you can get away with this, like, um, sort of Handmaid's Tale kind of, you know, mm. suggesting, like, yeah, a lot of fascist regimes, while they have control, really are also pretty incompetent. Yes. Um, the Nazis certainly were. You know, one of the things that's very underappreciated about the Nazi regime was how stupid it was Um, for all of its efficiency in some areas. Dreadfully so. Um, They were really dumb. Um, Well, 
just to add a point, you say you know, you took that that scene where they where they've run out, and the doctor finds out about the subliminal messaging and stuff. Mm. And he comes back and he breaks the speakers in the room, um, which is all all well and good. It's fine, you know. So va- add, add sort of you know vandalism to his list of crimes, but um, they're fine with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like... but one of the things I wanted to ask about because obviously this is an animated version and it obviously it has hindsight and also knowledge of, of what comes up. I don't know what was in the original show. I don't know what he used to destroy those. Mm, mm-hmm. But when he shows the tool, he because he said, well, what have you used to do that? He is literally holding a screwdriver. <laughs> I thought about that too. And it's not a sonic screwdriver. It's just a regular screwdriver. Yeah. But they do sort of zoom in on it. Like, maybe he had an idea. Yeah. And that, that was, I was like, that's interesting. Like, was that a bit of a joke? That, yeah. You know, in the show, he may have used a hammer or a could have just been a I don't know lump of wood or something. But they were like, no, 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 we're going to use a screwdriver. Um, it was. A, I well, thought that was a nice little joke. Even if he used a screwdriver originally, they sort of zoom in on it as, mm-hmm. as a bit of a joke. Um, yeah, I, I was kind of mild. I mean, I'm fine with it. It's animation, you know, from you know reconstructing a show from the '60s. But I was sort of mildly irritated at how easily disabled these these speaker <laughs> systems are in the wall. And there's also gas flowing in that sort of makes them more susceptible. That's sort of never mentioned again. That's not part of this disabling uh, process. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'll go along with it. Yeah, it all sort of, like I said, there are, there are moments that are sort of like trot by the wayside, but... It, it, it's got. Oh, this goes back to that animation, the reconstruction. I, I, I do want to applaud again how good or how much I enjoyed this reconstruction, mm. um, because again, like, you know, to say it's not it's not Pixar. This isn't sort of like you know award winning top level animation. It's not you know or photorealistic, but they you they know what they've got and they use it well. Um, you know the the facial uh, expressions are pretty good. The use of close ups, um, the use of color, the use of um, shadow in particular uh, is really good. And so I was a little concerned about like, will this animation put me off? Because poor animation can be a real distraction. Uh, but no, I, I think this is done really well. And as I said before, like the fact it fits the the um, the audio track is good, but even like I say, they, they've obviously had to re-edit this for sh- for shots, and they do use it to then add in additional backgrounds. Like there's a moment they do go into those uh, underground tunnels, and I'm sure you know, none of that footage exists. So, but they do. They give like huge backgrounds, and then they, or they raise the platforms way up, and they do mm. all this sort of stuff. And I'm like. You know, it's this nice balance between, as you said, like, you know, when the macro attacks uh, Jamie in the tunnels, it it opens with that thing of like the claw creeping in. <laughs> you, can, you can imagine there being a fine piece of string sort of hanging it up as they dragged it in. And they keep well, you, those you see, into You see somebody's hand just at the edge of the screen holding yeah, the prop. Yeah. <laughs> so I can imagine that there's, you know, that, that intent to keep that 60s feel. They didn't want to make, they didn't want to take it away. But they also take the opportunity to give you that little bit of extra depth or that little bit of extra that you wouldn't know, that extra of scenery or budget that, that wouldn't have existed. And I think it, it really strikes a really cool balance to achieve that. I, th- I think you're right. And I, I really like that that point. 
I also find myself looking at the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I think in the live action version, you know, and, and certainly in all live action who from from this era, you look at those backgrounds and you think, right, that looks like a cheap set. Yeah. You know, that's some painted cardboard. And when they go through the door, you will see the set rocking. Right. Um, I mean, seeing stones in the Aztecs, you're very conscious of the fact that these are painted stones. Yeah. And, you know, there's no uh, recessed um, work between them. Almost because because it's animated, I, and I'm sure that it keeps pretty close to what those sets mm-hmm. looked like, but because it's animated, it's not rocking back and forth, and it looks better than yeah. a cardboard set. And so I find myself sort of appreciating all of that work that went into these sets without that deficiency if that mm. makes sense yeah no i agree like it, it, it yeah it gives it a polish without taking away some of the, the charm that you would have had of, of sort of like that aesthetic that 60s sci-fi aesthetic so it works to, to sort of to again it's that balance whoever did this I, I would like to shout out i don't know who the animation studio is i probably should know that but um a shout out to them like whether it was the bbc or whoever but they, they did a great job um, and even like keeping some of the actors, obviously like Troughton looks like the Doctor looks like Patrick Troughton, and the others look like the actors. I think Ola and the pilot look a little different from the actors, and probably some others. The other thing I would say as well is you say about the backgrounds, is the population of the colony. Yes. Oh yes. Like, they do take the, they they clearly take the opportunity to add more people in than would have been in the scenes in in the original live action well you can imagine if this were if this were made today we would they would mention how long has this colony been there right yeah. what is the population of this colony um and i found myself sort of wondering that too i mean we don't see many workers there or we see a lot that more that's quite true yeah, apparently Sun and Moon Animation Studio in Bristol, and uh, they used Toon Boom Harmony's master controller, ironically enough, mm. uh, to, to do this. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm quite taken with it, too. And, and I, I do a couple things that do sort of annoy me or are worth pointing out is is that population. Right. What does the rest of this city look like? Yeah. Um, a- another thing is one of the weaker moments is this whole thing about the valves and the gas flow through mm. the <laughs> you know the doctor says you know like read me the, read me the dials polly and she's like right the first one's zero the other one's 100 percent. you know yeah. it's like yeah you don't need to be a scientist to figure this out you know well whatever shall i do and then he said oh I, i've run the calculations and you should reverse them you know and then Read me the dials now, Polly. Well, it's 100% and zero. I mean, it, it, it's quite, uh, you know, sort of awkwardly done. And, it is. And, it's, yeah, it's quite good. Because at one point he says, we have to change the flow, but, you know, but or the polarities. I just don't know which is which. Yeah. And you go, well, if you're going to change them, it doesn't really matter because this one becomes the <laughs> other like, and sort of vice versa. So <laughs> yeah. rotate those dials. The other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only two, even in the animation. So it shouldn't be too hard. 
one's in, one's out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and then there's this whole um, he he draws this schematic of uh, how this this works mathematically, which is which is in a way like a cool moment of like, mm. oh, the doctor's smart and he's an alien. He could, but what exactly are and and it's funny he gives himself a ten out of ten and then yeah. changes it to an eleven. There's your sort of Charlton humor, mm. but uh, and and that's fun stuff. But what the, what the hell is all of that for? It's for like you know, there are two vowels, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't equate to a great deal at the end of the day. Um, no. But but you say it does push the doctor to the forefront. That he is the driving force. He is the one that comes up with the solution. He is the one that's sort of doing the calculations. And so I do appreciate that that they have given him much more to do, and he feels like he is actually, like you say, he's an active participant. Like he's out and about doing stuff. Um, and and making a nuisance of himself, and I kind of I do kind of like that. That um, that feels like Doctor Who. Um, so yeah, I think I think we sort of we've run dry of 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 uh, from the matter. <laughs> any any final thoughts? No, I mean we we sort of taken the piss out of this, but uh, I think we both agreed that this is good fun, and I think it it you know while dated, it certainly. Uh, holds up remarkably mm. well, especially for, um, you know, low-budget material from the 60s. Uh, it, it's it, it's actually, you know, quite quite fun to watch. I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. I think this is one of those, like I say, it, it's, if you take this as a pulpy adventure, it works incredibly well. You know, it's got all the ingredients you need. It's not particularly overly complicated. It's got some good twists in it. And again, the only real problem is if you start to sort of like scratch away at the the, the finale and you're like, yeah, yeah this, this starts to sort of fall apart. But as a fun Doctor Who story, it works, uh, as especially as a classic Doctor Who. And again, taken in the time of it that it, that it is. Um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this. As you say, I enjoyed this more than Hartnell uh, Aztecs. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much because of the education thing, which did crop up in my head. But because it felt much more like the doctor's in charge and there was a driving force behind it, you know, and that sort of thing, it felt, and it felt a little bit just lighter in tone, um, which is a bit more sort of palatable. But, yeah. I find myself sort of conflicted because I agree with you 100%. I have more affection for Hartnell. Mm. Uh, I have no <clears throat> affection for Charlton as, as the doctor. At the same time, I do quite like some of some of the uh, tr- uh, animated ones that I've seen, including this. And it does sort of feel a bit more uh, like the formulas coming together. Yeah, I think, you know, um, the, it's interesting to see how they treat each of the doctors. And I think that's what's going to be most interesting because we're moving on, obviously, to uh, Pertwee next. And Pertwee... It again is a very different beast. Um, <clears throat> it's a it's a an earthbound doctor. Um, they had less money. They tried to keep it earthbound, so they actually had him working for Unit, and we'll talk about that. So again, they go in a very different direction with a very different doctor. So um, it will be a different tone entirely uh, again. So that that'll be incredibly interesting uh, to see how that one comes together. Well, it's fun going on this journey together and, and mm. talking about it as, as two Whovians, uh, 
you know, who haven't seen all of this stuff. And I hope that listeners like going on this journey, too. Uh, and I just want to say thanks for listening. Thanks for going on this journey with us. You know, send us a tweet at pod time space and let us know what you think. Yeah, jo- join in the conversation. Like, you know, we're, we're making comments. One thing we should highlight, we are only commenting on a single story per doctor. So we're getting like a glimpse of each of these doctors. So if we're miles off or you think there's actually something to counter anything we say, let us know. Like, point us to other stories. You know, these are the ones we picked out because they were considered some of the best of each doctor. But if there's a favourite that you have and we haven't mentioned, like, you know, let us know. Well, we can happily go off guide us i i haven't watched a great deal especially with the first three doctors so guide us tell us what we should be looking at um but yeah no i'm enjoying this jumping in the tardis and jumping from generate regeneration to regeneration um it's yeah it's fascinating and if you like uh black and white 1960s tv uh scott and i are talking every single week about the twilight zone over on patreon it's cheap and you could really help us pay the bills and keep the show going yeah so for five pounds a month that's it it's just five pounds what they say it's less less than a cup of coffee or about the same as a cup of coffee to be fair but you get yeah uh, you get the two of us talking twilight zone on a weekly basis we have now done as of uh, this we have done the complete first season of the twilight zone so that's over 36 it was 36 episodes and a wrap-up um and we'll be, we're getting well into sort of season two now so you know you're talking almost 40 episodes for each one between 15 and 25 minutes that's a lot of talking and it's it's some great great television my first time going through it episode by episode as well so you know uh julian is the the guide and we're going through this sort of episode by episode so it's, it's fantastic um but not we do to more. mention your 30 minute thoughts exactly yeah not only that you get a monthly podcast of media and 30 minute thoughts i've just done recently uh you know cinema versus streaming what the dc universe has got left to give and uh so much of the stuff i did a commentary for an a-team episode as well so all kinds of bits and pieces that's monthly and quarterly I also quarterly create a corner where I bring somebody on who's a creator uh, to talk about all kinds of things. I've had some great ones. Like Kieran Gillen come on and talk about Once and Future. Mm. I had Laura Summers come on and talk about the real Ghostbusters. So we've had some really cool kind of people come on to talk about this stuff. So, yeah, check out the Patreon for like hours and hours of extra awesome bonus content. It's fantastic. And, you know, the cool thing is if you subscribe for like uh, six pounds, you get access to all of that. It's yeah. not like you only get the new stuff that's coming out. You get this library of, of crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. Like five, I think five pound gives you 30 minute thoughts on the Twilight Zone. It's actually I think it's six, yeah, six, seven pounds gives you the creator corner and you then get to vote on the 30 minute poll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you really want to do as well at the top level, which I think is 10 pounds, you get all of that and you get to vote for an episode on the main feed of 20th Century Geek. So every quarter you get to vote and choose an episode of what I talk about, which is pretty cool. So, so much stuff on there, and a load of behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, if you go on there, talking sort of comics more, but, you know, all, I give updates on the stuff we're doing. Um, I'm currently, when I did the Judge Dread book, there was all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff there. With Moon Knight, there's going to be some awesome stuff coming there. So, yeah, there's all kinds of bits and pieces. It's worth checking out. There's a link down below, but it's basically patreon.com forward slash 20CG media, M-E-D-I-A, Check the link out below. But yeah, please check it out. Yeah, and even though I'm a co-host, I I am a member. I I subscribe <laughs> to your Patreon uh, because I I love everything you're doing. 
Yeah, it keeps the lights on at 20th Century Towers and actually pays for you know the hosting and all kinds of bits and pieces. So it uh, it's a, it's a great help and uh, will help us you know get get to do the places. So hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it, and I hope that you're willing to jump in the TARDIS with us for the next episode, and we talk about the next Doctor. And uh, but yeah, for now, thank you very much, and we shall talk again soon. Bye.